0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is July 17th of 2013, and tonight, our guest will be Claudia Christian, who starred in Battle on 5 as Commander Susan Ivanova. She's going to talk to us about the Sinclair Method and how she used it to overcome her alcohol problems. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb. For our website and our book, our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. And our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org. Well, our guest, Claudia, is here in the studio already waiting for us. Claudia, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing terrific. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Uh, I'm sorry. I got in a little bit late. My Skype was acting up, so I had to call in on my cell phone. So I just got in at the last minute, but we made it just in time. Um, <laughs> but,
1: <laughs>
0: well, we made it on time with seconds to spare is all.
1: Technical uh, difficulties seem to abound these last few days. I've been having the same <laughs> issues. So. We're all good.
0: Well, at least we're on time. That's that's all that matters. Uh I want to ask you. Tell me a little bit about when your drinking first became a problem for you. When did you first find your drinking becoming problematic?
1: Um, I would say I was a normal drinker. I was a very light drinker in my twenties, and then I was uh, just a social drinker in my thirties. And in my late thirties, early forties, um, you know, people started sort of uh, insinuating that perhaps I, you know, was drinking too much and I had a boyfriend at the time that said, "You know, you drink really fast." <laughs> and uh, then I started to realize that uh, I had, you know, an issue. And I, I was prepared—not really prepared mentally for it because I'm such a—I'm not really a control freak, but I'm a very disciplined person, and I and I have a very happy life, and I'm I'm a very happy person. So I just didn't expect to be hit over the head with this sort of issue any time in my life, even though I knew both of my grandfathers had issues with alcohol, Um, and addiction does run in my family. So um, I just wasn't – I think, you know, that you go through the denial stage and then you go through the, okay, I'll try everything stage. And that's really what happened to me. I tried – Uh, hypnosis, I tried psychotherapy, I tried AA, I tried rehab to the tune of $30,000, I tried, which I couldn't afford at the time, you know, I mean, I really, really tried everything. I tried vitamin therapy, I read every book on addiction I could find. Um, And it wasn't until four years ago when I found the Sinclair Method that I really got complete control over my drinking and got rid of the compulsion 100%.
0: Well, I wanted to let our listeners know if they want to check the archives of our show uh, last year or my, maybe it was the year before. We did interview Dr. David Sinclair from Finland. He uh, came on our show and talked about the Sinclair Method. If you want to go back and check out that show. But I'm going to ask you, Claudia, a little bit about what was your experiences with the Sinclair Method. And first, well, tell us what is the Sinclair Method?
1: Well, um The Sinclair method is a, and now I hesitate to use this word because people don't like to hear this because they don't believe it, but it is a cure for alcoholism. As long as you stay on the treatment, you will not slide back into alcoholic behavior. Um, So think of it as if you're a diabetic and if you stop taking your insulin, you're going to get in trouble. If you stop taking uh, the opiate blocker naltrexone, which is what I take, you take 50 milligrams of naltrexone one hour before you drink, every time you drink, for the rest of your life. You cannot go off of it. You can't suddenly say, oh, I'm cured. I'm going to drink without my pill. You can't, because within weeks or months, you will re- revert back to heavy drinking and alcoholic behavior. But while you're on the Sinclair method, which is that simple, it's an inexpensive, FDA-approved, non-addictive drug. I have my liver tested every six months, and I'm perfectly healthy. Um, and like I said, you take 50 milligrams, and you only take it when you drink. You do not take it every single day. You take it when you drink. Um, When you have insurance, it can range from anything from 10 cents to a dollar a pill. It's very, very inexpensive. I always tell people you can cure yourself of alcoholism for less than $50. You get a prescription for naltrexone and you buy the book by Dr. Roy Escapa, The Cure for Alcoholism, and you read it, and that's it. Had I known about this 10 years ago, I could have saved myself five years of misery. Um, But anyway, uh, I happen to be what's called an immediate responder. From the first time I took the pill, I literally could only drink a half a glass of wine. Four years later, I maybe drink once a week, once every other week. Um, you know, In the evening, maybe I'll have a glass or two of wine at a dinner party, and that's it. And I always take my pill. Um, so it's gotten rid of the compulsion as well. I don't think about alcohol. I drive by a billboard and see a bottle of wine. I don't think, oh, I, I have to have some. Or when I was completely sober, I would say, geez, I can't have that. And I would be a little bit resentful towards the sobriety aspect of it. I wasn't a very good Uh, patient for AA because I wanted to get rid of the compulsion and the thought process of being an alcoholic and I felt that that AA didn't work for me in that way because it wasn't dealing with the physiological aspect of the learned behavior or disease whichever you choose to call alcoholism Um, and so I really wanted a cure I didn't want to be a dry drunk I didn't want to be you know Bill W dying on his deathbed and begging for whiskey I didn't want to think about alcohol I wanted to be somebody who just was done with it and you know I could drink if I wanted to but I didn't have to and I didn't want to be physically addicted and I didn't want the alcohol deprivation problem so this was the only thing that worked for me and you know luckily it it has a nearly 80% long-term success rate which is the most successful treatment for alcoholism in the world right now and um, you know uh, I basically found it through trial and error uh, four years ago I ended up in a detox center, and there was a um, flyer for the Vivitrol shot, and I kept calling to get it, and nobody returned my calls, so I researched on my own and found out that the key ingredient was naltrexone, and that led me to Dr. Escapa's book, The Cure for Alcoholism, which led me to order the drug from an online company and take it, and then I contacted Dr. Escapa and told him he saved my life, and what could I do for him, and he told me, write a book. So here I am. <laughs>
0: Well, your book is called Babylon Confidential and that tells your whole story of uh, your experiences with uh, Babylon 5 and various experiences and then gets to the alcohol problems, the cure uh, with uh, the Sinclair Method. Mm -hmm. Um, And Escapa's book is called The Cure for Alcoholism. Um, I'm familiar with this book. I read this book right after it was published. What had happened was... Um, some people in our online group had talked about the Sinclair Method. So I put a little short description on our website about the Sinclair Method. There was very little on the Internet at the time that talked about mm-hmm. the Sinclair Method at all. I didn't know very much about it myself. But since we always encourage you know, any alternative to this standard 12-step thing, um, we'd like to put out all the information that we can find. And uh, Dr. Escapa was searching the internet apparently and found my website. Wrote me an email and said, uh, Would you like a review copy of my book? Mm-hmm. And I said, Yes, absolutely. I love a free book. I read it <laughs> book. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't love free books? The research was very compelling. Yeah. So um, I got uh, Dr. Sinclair's actual papers from the medical journals. I was working on my MA in Psych at the time at the New School University in New York City. So I wrote one of my papers for my classes on the Sinclair Method and used the information from Dr. Sinclair's papers. And, well, the New School, they, they're uh, pretty advanced. They're pretty liberal thinkers, so they were very uh, well welcoming to this mm-hmm. method and very ha- happy to hear about it. Um, the New School is also a big bastion for harm reduction, so it's a very progressive place. It's a good place to study addiction treatment. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that sounds interesting. So, you, so you've known about it longer than when did when was this?
0: Um, well, uh, Dr. Scapel sent me his book right after it was published, so I think Oh, so that was that in... was
1: a, okay. So that was years ago. Yeah. See, I, I, the new edition is coming out, which I wrote a foreword for. But, it, but uh, if I had found that book prior, and believe me, every single bookstore I ever went to in my life, I bought every book on alcoholism that I could find. And if had I run into that book. Boy, I would have saved myself a lot of time, money, energy, and health issues. <laughs> I can tell you that much.
0: Well, it's a problem, you know, very often what's sitting on the shelves of the bookstores are the best sellers and they're not the the best information necessarily.
1: No. No. I mean it, that was the impetus for me to write this book and I thought, you know, I I do have a, a, a strong loyal fan base and they've they've really made this book um, you know, get a lot further. Probably than I, I could have without my sci-fi fans. Um, you know, we sold out of the first run immediately, and just thanks to their pre-sales. And it's been out since November sixth, and uh, you know, it's chugging along. And I'm doing some signings and stuff, but. Really, the most important thing for me right now is just getting the word out about the Sinclair Method because every time I go to a, a party or a function or anything, I, the first thing I say is, you know, who who here knows an alcoholic? And, of course, everybody's hand goes up because everybody has a uncle or mother or a friend or whatever that's had issues with alcoholism. And then I say, well, who knows about the Sinclair Method? And nobody knows about the Sinclair Method. And it's just devastating to me to think, You know, 65,000 people are dying in the U.S. alone every year, 1.8 million around the world, and nobody knows about the Sinclair method. And here's a cheap, you know, it's incredibly inexpensive, safe medical treatment for alcoholism that is is just so easy to utilize. You can even detox on it. You don't even have to go to an expensive detox center. You can taper off using the Sinclair method. And it's just it's just a remarkable thing to me, and it makes me very uh, upset when I realize that. I think part of the reason why it's not so well known is because nobody can make money off of it. The drug is not patented. A lot of people produce it. You know, um, you really don't need to go to a, a a treatment center to to use this treatment. All you need is a read the book and get a prescription, and it's that easy. And it just kills me that you know that that a lot of people still to this day think that alcoholism and addiction in itself is a moral issue, and so they're not you know they just don't buy that a drunk could could drink. And the point is, is they're not looking at the science. In order to create pharmacological extinction in the brain, you have to introduce alcohol to the opiate blocker. It's just common sense. I come from a family of scientists and doctors. So for me, it made complete sense. It's a neurological cure. I mean, it just it changes the wiring in your brain back to the way it used to be before alcohol, alcoholism crept in.
0: Well, the fact is that... Uh... AA and twelve step treatment programs have done a tremendous sales job on the American public of mm-hmm. of self promotion. And uh, but it, it's, I mean, my encounter with AA was what I was being told I was I was powerless. Alcohol was powerful, and I mm-hmm. had to be cured by some outside being that was more powerful than human mm-hmm. beings. Some I didn't believe that God cures diseases.
1: No because no. and also if you're if you're like I said about diabetes are you going to tell a diabetic to go into a room and pray it away no you're going to give him some insulin I mean it's 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 just absurd it's, it's 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 you know it's if it this is the year 2013 let, you know, we need to take something that has not been around since the 1920s in Europe, and then brought to America in the 30s or 40s. Uh, you know, it, come on, there is a it, there is a modern medical way to treat addiction now, and we need to to change our mindset up and realize that that long term, this the percentages of success rate c- compared. I don't care if AA claims 10%, which I don't even believe they can cure 10%. And by the way, 8% of the population in the world can quit anything on their own, anything, cigarettes, Mm -hmm. heroin, alcohol, whatever, that is just called 8% of the population can do that. Cold turkey. So, you know, when you take that, Percentage into consideration, In then rehab industry says, well, we have about five to ten percent success rate. Well, there you go. There's your eight <laughs> percent. You know, that's the way I look at it. Maybe I'm a little jaded, but you know, I think I'm a pretty strong person. But I just don't believe that there's only one option for everybody. If if twelve step works for you, great. But what about for the ninety percent of the people it doesn't work for? What, you know, what what are they offered? They're offered expensive rehab where you do yoga. And you watch movies and, and you're told by the therapist that you're antisocial. That doesn't deal with alcoholism. It's a learned behavior. It's a neurological problem. I mean, your, your, your neural pathways are too reinforced. You know, this this, this fixes it. And it's just, it's just absurd to me that we haven't embraced something that works. It it is proven. There's clinical trials. You know, it's just it just drives me nuts. You can tell I'm a little passionate about it. huh? <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Well, my personal experience with the twelve step rehab program that was it was held in a hospital, and I was told in the hospital that if I did not believe in God, I was going to die, and <laughs> uh, if I didn't go to AA for the rest of my life, I was going to die, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that, that was not helpful at all. As no, a matter of fact, and, uh, afterwards, afterwards, I did uh, try going to some 12-step meetings because I thought it was a good way to spend time when I would otherwise go to the liquor store and buy mm-hmm. liquor. But ultimately, after several months of being told that alcohol was power, powerful, powerful, yeah. baffling, and cunning, and I was powerless, I went on the biggest bender of my life, and I nearly died of alcohol withdrawal. And I realized if I didn't leave the 12-step meetings, I was going to die. Yeah. And when I left, I started getting better.
1: Yeah, you know, it's and it's you know, it's interesting because I I went to AA meetings in America and in England when I was living in London. I've I've been to them pretty much. Um, I mean, a lot of AA meetings, and I really resented standing up and saying, "Hi, I'm Claudia. I'm an alcoholic." I, because even if I had 11 months sob- sobriety under my belt or whatever, I I really wanted to stand up and say, "Hi, I'm Claudia. I used to be an alcoholic," and and it wasn't until the Sinclair method that I can honestly say, you know, I am Claudia, and I used to be an alcoholic, but I am not displaying any alcoholic signs or tendencies today. So it's gone. Now, granted, if I went off of the pills and went on a bender for a month, yeah, I would become an alcoholic again. But I'm in remission, and it's 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 just it's just an amazing feeling to be able to say I am no longer controlled by alcohol. I no longer have compulsive thoughts about alcohol, so I'm no longer an alcoholic. The gene is inside there, but it's sleeping, you know? It's just a, it's asleep. It's gone. And that's the beauty of the Sinclair method is is that you know, you can honestly say that that part of my life is done and over with.
0: Oh, I do have to talk about genes now that you mentioned genes uh, you know addiction is uh it's a polygenetic inheritance it's not monogenetic it's not on one gene it's on uh, they've identified about forty genes and none of them are determinative of addiction and mm-hmm. Some of the more recent research tells us that genes are turned on and off by. Trauma by environmental influences. So the idea that there's an addiction gene and if you get it you're going to be an alcoholic, it's
1: just,
0: it's garbage. And even the best scientists in genetics that talk about genetics of addiction, they say the heritability is is 0.5, 50%. And these are the strongest adherents of the genetic theory. Of course, Dr. Drew comes on and says, well there's an addiction gene and if you get it you're addicted. But I don't think he's read any research on addiction.
1: Well, they also say that that if you wait until after you're 21, when the brain is fully fun, fully formed, that that you have less of a chance of getting that 0.5% inherited gene. That 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 basically, if you if you don't drink alcohol prior to that, have you read that research? I found that kind of interesting.
0: I've seen that, that If you too. drink before um,
1: you're if you if you drink before you're 21 and you and you have a, a you know f- family alcohol rage, raging from both sides of your parents, that you will have a less of a chance more of a chance if you drink before you're 21, of actually having that gene click in, or so, so to speak. Um, I don't know if that's... if that's. Uh, I mean, I've read a couple papers on it, so it just seemed interesting to me. And another reason for parents not to give their six-year-old a beer, because it's cute. <laughs> you
0: know? Well, not to give your six-year-old a beer. Um, uh, <laughs> they do in England,
1: they... let me tell you. They had a four-year-old alcoholic hospitalized. I mean, seriously, with withdrawals. I mean, it's just crazy, like little kids. It's it's, well, there, it's insane.
0: Um, well, there's two things I want I want to address uh, since you brought this up, and one is you're absolutely right. There's a there's a huge amount of research that uh, people who use a lot of drugs or a lot of alcohol when they're younger, when they're in their teens, are more likely to have problems when they, uh, you know, pass into adulthood than if their first uh, abuse is after their. T- 21 or after even older than that when your brain is fully formed it's more like after 25 or 30 mm-hmm. when when your first uh, episode of abuse is when you're much older it's much easier to overcome um, but on the other hand um, we also have a lot of evidence that when parents model moderate drinking to their children and actually uh, teach the children teach not five year olds but uh, you know teach 14-year-olds, you know, how to have one glass of wine with dinner and, do you know, it's a Mediterranean culture right. that Stanton Peel has talked about. It's a great deal. Uh, there's uh, much lower rates of alcoholism in the Mediterranean cultures um, because they model moderate use, and uh, drunkenness is not approved of.
1: Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, well, it's we always had the European way where you know the kids were allowed to have a, a drink with holidays or some dinners and you know there was basically the rule was yeah you can drink at home but when i was a kid i never really my my brothers would be able to have a beer and stuff like that but you know uh out of our family two kids got you know became addicts and one was spared so you never know i mean it's just i some people believe that it's 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 trauma, but you know frankly, when I look at the the clinical trials and, and you know that were compared with people who were on this, both part, both uh, trials, people were all on the Sinclair method, and half of them received psychotherapy, and the other half did not. It didn't make any difference in the numbers. It was still 78 to 80 percent success rate, so it didn't matter if they got therapy. So, in other words, when people say, "Well, it's because I was raped when I was a kid," I didn't become an alcoholic because I was raped when I was 14. <laughs> I didn't become an alcoholic because my brother died when I was a little kid. Those are traumas, but I don't believe it led me in my late 30s to suddenly become physically addicted to alcohol. I, do, I don't buy that. You know, I don't. I don't buy the. I do buy the. Oh, I'm going through a divorce, so I'm going to drink heavily now. Or gee, I'm a stressed out mom, so I'm gonna have a glass of wine every night. I get that, but I don't. I, I don't. I don't buy the oh, horrible things happened to me a kid, as a kid, and that's why I'm a drug addict or an alcoholic. I just. I think that it. It's a. It's a learned behavior. You don't walk into a bar at 21 and have a drink and become an alcoholic. It takes time. It takes time to continue to reinforce those neural pathways. That's what I believe. It just makes sense to me.
0: Oh, it's absolutely a learned behavior. There's no question. And I'm not surprised at all that the uh, Sinclair Method has the same success rate, whether one gets psychotherapy or not. Mm-hmm. What I would probably believe is people that had huge childhood traumas who got the psychotherapy would probably be feeling a lot better th- about themselves
1: afterwards. Sure. Than I, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, listen, I'm not dissing therapy. I mean, I, I'm just saying that after two years of trying it, it, it didn't cure my alcoholism. Yeah, at all, at all. It had nothing to do with that. And, and I don't think people should go to therapy thinking it's going to get them to stop drinking. I think they should go to therapy so that they have someone to talk about their issues with and they feel better about themselves, just as you just said.
0: Well, I would, um, I have some questions about that because uh, people like Andrew Tatarsky and Pat Denning have had huge successes with harm reduction psychotherapy where they have mm-hmm. treated people who are actively using drugs. Or alcohol, and you know they've addressed both issues simultaneously—both the uh, drug use and the mental health issues—and they've had their clients have had great progress. Nice. So I do think it is possible for that, and especially you well, know everyone's for the, different, yeah, for the twenty-two percent that are not responding to the Sinclair method, that certainly seems like an option that they should try. Yeah, uh, standard you know, psychotherapy. I, I, standard I, I, psychotherapy. I, I think some of the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Standard psychotherapy so. is not really geared to work on the addiction and the mental health together, so it needs a harm reduction psychotherapy approach.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the the 22% of the people that don't respond to the Sinclair method, they found that uh, a lot of them were not taking the pill the way that they were supposed to. They were taking it with a drink as opposed to one hour prior or taking it after they've already started drinking or just not taking it. They weren't complying so that percentage is, and then other people. Naltrexone just doesn't affect them. They they mm-hmm. there they are there. There is a group of people that can take an opiate blocker and it won't block. <laughs> it just doesn't work for them. So naloxone hopefully will. You know the EU just passed the. Um, they just came out with a a, a big. Um, there was a huge article the other day, a couple of weeks ago, where the EU pronounced that announced that naloxone should be taken in conjunction with drinking. So that is the Sinclair method. So hopefully the FDA will then look at the, what the EU decides, which they usually do in, in a few years. from Now they'll jump on the bandwagon. They're usually a little bit behind the EU as far as that, that, those kind of things are concerned. But now we at least have you know, uh, them saying that nalmefene, which is you know, the sister drug of naltrexone, you have to drink on it in order to create this extinction. And nalmefene is great because you can also take it if you are in advanced stages of alcoholism because it's not processed through the liver. You actually uh, you urinate it out, so it's it's um, it's much safer for the for people with liver damage from alcoholism.
0: Yeah, that's a really important step forward because uh, the naltrexone is metabolized through the liver, so you do have to have a healthy liver to take it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is great for people in advanced stages, people who have any damage, because yes, when I finally got my prescription, uh, which the doctor that I went to was incredibly hesitant to give to me, even though the FDA approved it for use for alcoholism, for cravings in 1996, I believe, Um, he was still, he had to look it up in his little black doctor's book, he didn't know what Naltrexone was, he had no idea if it was going to kill me, I mean, he made me take extensive, extensive liver tests, blood tests, the whole bit, and luckily, my liver was perfectly fine because I'm a human cockroach. And uh, um, and I was able to get a very small prescription of 15 pills. And when I went back to him a few months later, when those pills were gone, I explained to him that this absolutely worked for me. So that was uh, years ago and I've been you know getting it from the same doctor ever since. People do run into problems getting a prescription for naltrexone, which is absurd. Uh, I've heard from many people that they their doctors simply refuse to prescribe it. And it's such an innocuous low-level prescription with no little or no side effects. Some people get a little nauseous and that's about it. I mean it's 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 insane to me. It, it it's well, just no things reason. have to change. Hmm?
0: There's no reason why it should have to be a prescription drug. It's not a drug. No. It's, abuse. it's not abusable. It could very be easily be over-the-counter.
1: I, I, I totally agree with you. I don't see why. I mean, you can buy it on the Internet, but it costs about ten times as much as it would it, from a doctor, especially if you have insurance. Mine costs about, you know, when I when my insurance uh deductible's all caught up, it's about, I don't know, ten dollars. At the most, it's thirty-eight dollars or something, and I don't even use them all. I've got a plethora of pills because, of course, you only take them when you drink, and they give you thirty a month. So it's ridiculous. It's um, it, I don't know why they don't just sell it over the counter. It could it could save so many lives, and and it's it's just absurd to me. Things have to change, and people's mentality have to change, and the opinion has to change, and it just has to become more. You know, I dream of the day when, the, when uh, you know, some young people are going out and they say, "Oh, did you take your pill?" Yeah, sure, I took mine. You know, I mean, when it's just commonplace, it's as common as saying, "Did you go to a meeting?" You know, it's it's. I, I, I'm dreaming of that day when the Sinclair method is that, you know, that popular.
0: Well, I know several people in our group uh, have used the Sinclair method, and they have chosen. Generally, to buy it over the internet, as you mentioned, you can buy it from mm-hmm. a pharmacy in Canada over the internet, and they do not want uh they do not want alcohol dependence on their medical records. record they do not want to yeah. go to their doctor yeah
1: yeah, I know a lot of people like that because they they have cobra insurance and other insurance uh that they feel that they will lose or they also don't want their workplace to find out. Um, and I understand that. And I, if they're willing to pay the price, then that's fine. For me, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm a, I'm a self-employed actress writer. So, you know, it doesn't matter. If, also, I've written about it. I've already come out of the closet So it's saying that I had a drinking problem. So it's not like I have anything to lose. But I, I do understand a lot of people buy it on the Internet because they, they want privacy. Uh, you know, and in a perfect world, you would be able to simply, yeah, like you said, go into a pharmacy and buy it over the counter.
0: Now, I did take naltrexone myself, but it was uh, many years ago. I think it was the mid 1990s, probably about probably ten years ago. No, yeah, probably twenty years ago, around 1993, 94. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was no Sinclair method then, and my doctor was prescribing it by the standard method. He said Abstinence. you should abstain and take this to eliminate cravings, and it was mm-hmm.
1: totally worthless. Okay no it's, it's totally worthless that way the and the reason why you know it's it, the people that ignored the advice and drank on it, those are the ones that got cured. <laughs> you know the ones that said to the doctor, "Oh yeah yeah, I'll take the pill every day and i won't drink and then they went and drank, and they noticed that they were drinking less and less and less, and uh you know those are the people that, that it helped it The only way to Sinclair, the only way nelrexone does work is if you introduce that 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 compulsive behavior whether it's gambling or porn addiction or alcoholism or to the opiate blocker there's there's it, you know there's just no point in taking it otherwise you're just you might as well take an aspirin
0: and we should also mention that people uh should not take naltrexone when they're not going to drink if they're going to engage in some other positive behavior like exercise they're going to yeah. e- extinguish that behavior
1: exact well yeah i mean it's that's that's the, that's the nice thing about having weeks and You know, days and weeks off from drinking and from taking naltrexone is because I happen to hike every single day. So I get euphoric from that, whether or not I had wine the previous night and an naltrexone or not. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're taking an naltrexone first thing in the morning and then you go and you have sex or you go for a run, you're blocking those endorphins. Why would you want to do that? And also taking it in the morning is foolish because who drinks in the morning unless you're you know hardcore alcoholic? But that's that's how they were prescribing it. Just take one every day, and that's that's ridiculous. And you're blocking good good endorphins. You're not blocking the the compulsive bad endorphins. So um, uh, yeah, if any doctor says take it every day and don't drink on it, please ignore that advice because that's just, <laughs> it doesn't work. It, it's proven in many many clinical trials that abstinence plus naltrexone does not equal cure. It's it's uh, naltrexone plus drinking equals cure.
0: Mm-hmm. And yet American doctors that do know about naltrexone are almost guaranteed to prescribe abstinence and uh, daily naltrexone every morning because that's well, the only listen, thing they've it, heard
1: about. Yeah, and in, in Israel, you know what the package of naltrexone says inside of it? It says if you drink on it, you can die. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's such. It, it, it's, this is how misleading and false information that's out there you know you would have to take 500 milligrams of naltrexone a day to even eventually do any damage to your liver I mean it's just absurd so even if you take 50 milligrams every day and drink every day it's the alcohol is going to do a lot more damage than the naltrexone it's a very innocuous safe low-level low prescription drug Um, so yeah you're right they're misinformed or they're just simply not informed Um, doctors in this country uh, I've I've spoken to three doctors that had never even heard of the Sinclair Method and they deal with addicts on a daily basis. There's one hospital that was in um, Houston, I believe, that I spoke to a fellow that works in the emergency room and he said it, uh, he deals with alcoholics every single day and he had never heard of it. Never heard of it. I, I mean, that to me, I don't know why there's not some sort of program. Um, I mean, think of it, even from a government level, how much money... It would save America alone in health care costs, accidents, days off of work. Forget about the human cost. Forget about the children of alcoholics and the anger and the next generation that that creates and causes. Forget about all the human cost. Just talk about money, the fiscal cost of alcoholism on this country. Why isn't there somebody going to the hospitals and giving out sample packs of naltrexone and saying, here, give this to your alcoholic patients (laughs) and teach them about the Sinclair method? I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a billions of dollars.
0: Yes, it is. Are yeah. you
1: still there? Yeah, I'm here.
0: Okay, I, I heard a little drop in my signal there. Okay, yeah, I can hear you. Um, I want to go back to something else you were talking about, which was spontaneous remission. And, you know, people deciding to quit their addictions on their own is what it really is, even though they call mm-hmm. it spontaneous remission. Uh, NISARC, the National Epidemiological Survey of Alcohol-Related Conditions, um, came up with some really interesting data. It was published uh, in 2009 by the NIAAA, National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Um, and the article is called Alcoholism Isn't What It Used to Be. It's online. Everyone can Google it and they found in a 20-year period, first of all, 75% of people with alcohol dependence overcame it, and 75% overcame it without treatment and without AA. Huh. So, really, it is the normal outcome. People will eventually overcome an addiction. They will not die of it. It's the normal outcome is to overcome it, but... 20 years is a hell of a long time to have a hell of a lot of damage on the way.
1: Exactly. And, and, you know, a lot of people also aren't educated about uh, the damage that can be done when you go, for instance, when you go cold turkey, which I did. uh, I was what's called a binge drinker. I I would be sober for eight months and then drink for three days, and then sober for seven months, drink for four days. You know, just it was a series of, of of falling off the wagon, which of course the falling off becomes more and more spectacular the more advanced your your disease becomes. Um, so, you know, for 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 somebody like that uh, who quits cold turkey, the, the the brain cells that are killed, the the threat of grand mal seizure, the I mean, really the the the, the physical damage that I was doing to my body because I was just I didn't know. There's just no information. Nobody, you know, nobody. People would just say, "Oh, just stop." Well, that's it can be really dangerous to just stop cold turkey. Um, you know, and I, I just don't think there's enough education on the on the uh, on the whole subject of alcoholism and, and choices and options and you know among other things.
0: Yeah, um, in the days before they had uh, medications to treat um, treat B um, we have some papers from about uh, the turn of the century, about 1900, that said one out of three people untreated would die of the DTs.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the people that survived were the ones that were given the little elixir that had a little bit of whiskey in it.
0: <laughs> you know. But even, yeah. even back in the day, um, you can taper people off of alcohol using alcohol. Long before these yeah. drugs like Valium were... Invented that was the only safe way to get people down. But they would just you know lock people up and you know take away all their alcohol, and And just taper severely. Yeah, the severely dependent people that went through DTs, one of three would die.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people online in chat rooms that uh, they do what's called beer tapers, you know, and, and they once again the Sinclair method can help with that because if you if you have especially if you're if you're in you know pretty pretty severe withdrawal you can have somebody who's you know with you give you the pill in the morning and then an hour later give you a little bit of alcohol and you can slowly taper that way, which will in the, at the same time you're you're helping the extinction process begin so. Your desire will, will go down as well. So by the time you Absolutely. detox, you probably you probably you know a, a ten day detox, you probably wake up after that ten days and think, I don't even want to drink, <laughs> you know. So that which is great, you know. You know that's uh that's well, the beauty of it.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the the beer taper because they probably found that on our website, which I wrote that page um, because before when I searched the internet. Every single site I hit said, you cannot taper off alcohol, you will absolutely die unless you check into rehab and go through a medical detox. And I knew that was false because I had watched friends of mine taper down who were severely dependent, but they they knew how to taper down when they had to and mm-hmm. they would do it safely. So I put that information on my website. I think that was the first source that was about the beer taper. And I know that's the most the single most hit page on my whole site.
1: No, oh, so maybe I, maybe I was reading your, your your article. Could be. I certainly. We're probably certainly. Was maybe people were talking history.
0: about it because I know a yeah. lot of people talk about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's also true that uh, Sinclair method uh, will automatically taper you down if you take the Naltrexone when you drink.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some people are immediate responders like I was. Um, other people take anywhere from three to nine months you know I, I have a uh, one friend that um, she had to up her dosage to 75 milligrams and it made all the difference in the world she went from you know just saying, being frustrated at the Sinclair method and frustrated because she was she was she cut down a bit but not as much as she wanted to then the second she upped her prescription to 75 she it was a dream just worked a charm and she rarely drinks anymore Um, So, you know, every individual is different. For me, it was the first, very, very first time I ever took the pill. I just immediately, something in my brain just shifted. I don't know if it was a combination of physiological and psychological. I don't really know. I mean, Dr. Escapa seems to think that some people are like me, where the very first time they introduce naltrexone into their system, they just immediately go, ooh, wow, gee, (laughs) and they change. So I was very, very fortunate. It didn't take me a number of months. It took me a day. And uh but like I said other people take 3 months, some take 5 months, you never know. Um until you see the best thing to do is to keep a drinking diary. I really found that extremely helpful. Um keep a drinking diary, keep track of how much you drink and the golden rule um is always to have your medication on you in your keychain holder, you know, they've got those little pill dispensers in your car, at your best friend's house, at your boyfriend's house. Uh, you know, on your desk at work. Um, just always keep your pills everywhere, so you have no excuse, and always take it an hour before you drink every time you drink. And if you follow that very very simple rule, but you'd be surprised how many people don't follow that rule. They'll take the pill and immediately have a drink. And it, you know, there's 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 a there's a very simple rule: one hour before you have a drink every time you drink. And if you do that, um, you know, if you are one of the 80% of the people that I believe it will it will dramatically cut down your drinking and and you can maintain control of the drinking for the rest of your life. Uh, and a huge portion of people actually quit altogether. I think it's between 25 and 40% or something like that on the Sinclair method. They stop drinking altogether and just go sober. Hello? Hello? Oh.